She could be one of the breakout stars of the Breeders' Cup. The two-year-old Philly sensation Serengeti Empress. We'll talk with her trainer Tom Amos. Plus, we'll take a treetops look ahead to the big weekend, now about a month away, with Alicia Wins Hughes of the Blood Horse. It's all on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll side. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bumping finish. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In the Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In the Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. On opening day of the Saratoga meet this year, a two-year-old filly named Serengeti Empress, who, like many of her competitors that day, had won her debut, finished fourth in the Schuylerville. Nothing terribly noteworthy there, until Serengeti Empress did this her next time out at Ellis Park. Serengeti Empress. Corey Leonard is yet to move. She's in front by two. Whip comes out on somewhere who's being ridden to keep pace. That's all for Wakita. It's Serengeti Empress by the eight pole. The lead has been bumped to eight lengths from the inside. Lucky Girasol. And then up on the outside from last, include addition. But the debutante runaway winner here. What a performance. Serengeti Empress. Serengeti Empress. She wins gathered up by at least 11 lengths. She followed that demolition with an even more impressive win in the Pocahontas at Churchill Downs in mid-September. And now Serengeti Empress, who started the summer rather anonymously, could become one of the big breakout stars at this year's Breeders' Cup. What's behind that incredible turnaround? Let's ask her trainer Tom Amos, who joins us for the first time here on In the Gate. What happened following the Schuylerville that's resulted in these two incredible performances? Well, you got to kind of look under the hood a little bit. So let's go back in time. She won her first race very, very easily at Indiana Grand. And uh, we made the decision to come back quickly in New York in about two and a half weeks rest and run the Schuylerville. And there were so many things that just didn't work out correctly. The shipping, getting her up there, how well she kind of acclimated to the racetrack the rider dropping his stick at the head of the lane on her and just kind of coasting in with her. There were any number of things that I look back on. It was just was a poor decision on my part to send her up there on such short rest and runner. But she is talented enough and smart enough that we were able to get her back on track and, uh, and then run in the Ellis Park uh, Juvenile Phillies in August and feel very confident that we had her back where we wanted her. Serengeti Empress rolls by the quarter pole on a five-length lead. Serengeti Empress is off the turn on cruise control. Love my honey in a full-out drive, but his second. Splashy kisses struggling back in third. Everybody's far behind Serengeti Empress, whose lead's built to 8, 10, 12, maybe more than that. Serengeti Empress saunters home to win the Pocahontas for fun. When a horse wins the, that kind of daylight as she has her last two times out, how much can you really learn about her? Well, I think you learn a lot from the last race because, number one, it's a two-turn race at the distance that the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies is going to run over the track that they're going to run. So I think you saw a lot there. Now, 
in that particular race, the most recent race, the Pocahontas, she did indeed make the lead and had some mild challenge early, but not a lot, and was able to have a lot left in the tank at the end of the race. I don't think we can anticipate or hope for that same pace scenario in the Breeders' Cup. These are going to be quality fillies, a real upgrade in the field, in my opinion, and probably a more challenging pace up front. So Serengeti has got to show she can rate and use tactical speed rather than just pure speed in the race. And that's what we're working on in our training as we meet up to the race that first Friday in November. So how do you do that? you put a horse in front of her as a target? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things that you do. Number one, hopefully inherently she's smart enough to do that. And we think she is. She's really, really intelligent. And that's, that's a key. So it's one thing to have raw talent. Uh, in horse racing, but if you don't have the intelligence to go with it and be a horse that is tractable and, and a horse that can do things that the rider asks in the saddle, then you don't have a horse that's going to be as good as they can be. What we've seen from her suggests that all those things will be no problem for her. So we're comfortable with that. But certainly, you want to put her with other horses on the racetrack, make her sit behind them, make sure that she's comfortable doing that without being overly aggressive with the rider, and Basically, it's the job of all trainers, whether it's a horse like Serengeti Empress or any other horse, to have the horse respect the commands of the rider, and the rider is going to command the horse through his hands. So, you know, that's what we work on with all of our horses, and we're very confident that Serengeti Empress will be a horse that will do whatever the rider asks her to do come that first Friday in November for the Breeders' Cup, and Corey Landry will be our rider again. He rode her last time at the Pocahontas. You're usually good for a couple of stakes wins a year. We know you're not Bob Baffert, Todd Pletcher, or Chad Brown, but Serengeti Empress, now you have Lone Sailor, who won the Oklahoma Derby. What are we thinking with him? Is there a Breeders' Cup in his future? Well, you know, he's only three, and of course the Breeders' Cup races are three and up, and uh, it may not be his time this year, but he is an improving young horse. You know, just recently, of course, winning the Remington Park Derby, uh, that was an exciting race where he gave up a lot of ground, uh, but fought very hard to the end and just got up at the wire. But, you know, Barry, your, your question's fair. I'm, I'm a bit player when it comes to these big races. I'm not someone that's going to be running the favorite in these kinds of races, although this year that's going to be different. Serengeti Empress will probably be the first or second choice in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, and if she wins, she'll be Juvenile Philly champion here in the United States, which is exciting for me. I've never been in that situation before. Well, she alone has already gotten you your quota, so to speak, of stakes wins, but you've got a couple of others in your barn that have some kind of rags-to-riches type stories. And first of all, there's that horse you claimed in February for $25,000, and she's held her own in graded stakes company. Here comes Chocolate Martini getting up to Classy Act. One of the good took toward the inside where she's a Julie. They come past the 16th. Eskimo Kisses looks to join on the line. Here comes Eskimo Kisses. Chocolate Martini, Chocolate Martini, and Mitchell Murrow. Chocolate Martini has won the Fairgrounds Oaks at 13 to 1. After her win in the Fairgrounds Oaks, she's running four graded stakes, a pair of thirds in the Summertime Oaks and the Grade 1 Coaching Club, pair of fifths, including her most recent start in the cotillion behind Midnight Bizu and Monomoy Girl. How was this horse available for $25,000? You know, I can't speak to that. I don't know what the other stable, you know, what they had in mind in that particular race. But, you know, it, 
we're, we're a claiming barn. I've always been doing that, and, and we've had some good ones along the way. I didn't know what I was getting with chocolate martini when I claimed her, except that I thought I was claiming something that was of value. And when we took her for 25 that day and we got her back to the barn and started working with her, we really liked what we saw. She's a big, big filly with a big stride. So we tried her allowance race off that, and she won and paid a big, a big number, as a matter of fact, that day. And, you know, she just kept improving. So I think a lot of, of, of that claim has to do with a, claiming a two-year-old turning three in January of the three-year-old year. And there's still development to be had. And uh, fortunately for us, that development, uh, a lot of it took place between January and March when she won the Fairgrounds Oaks. But I don't know what's next for her. But just like Lone Sailor, she's only three. And I think there's better to come in her four-year-old season. Trainer Tom Amos joining us here on In the Gate. Now, let's be clear about this. We brought him on to talk about his potential Breeders' Cup starter in Serengeti Empress. But full disclosure here, Tom Amos also trains a two-year-old in which I am a very small partner. They turn into the stretch, and it's Distant Shore, who's homeward bound, has a lead by a couple lengths. Another Dan Lake shifting ground, tries to angle the outside second. They run to the 16th pole, and it's Distant Shore. Distant Shore, a first-time starter, is going to win by four impressive lengths. Distant Shore is owned by the Churchill Downs Racing Club, one of those non-profit groups designed for people who don't exactly have the wealth of the Sheiks of Dubai. It's mainly 200 working-class people who each put up 500 bucks. The colt cost just 50000 at a two-year-old sale in May. What is it like to train for this group? I wish I was down there more often. Well, in a bit of a surprise, it has been a remarkable kind of, uh, I don't know, in a sense, a resurgence for me. So I say a bit of a surprise. I knew what I was getting into and looking forward to training for the group. But it was that first race that we ran in at Indiana Grand, the maiden allowance race for Distant Shore, which he won, that really kind of opened my eyes to what these groups are about. Uh, there must have been about 70 people of the group that was there at uh, Indiana Grand that day. And the joy and the excitement that they had winning that first start, it, it overwhelmed me. I didn't expect it. And I had so much fun with everybody. It literally was like drinking from the fountain of youth. I've, I've, <laughs> we've won a lot of races through the years. I mean, I've been doing this for over 30 years as a trainer. But that win was so much fun, and I get so much enjoyment out of that group. Look, it's my strong recommendation. If you're a trainer as well as a potential owner and you can be a part of one of these groups, do it. You'll have a great time with it. Well, as much as fun as it was down there, I wish you'd actually been with my work colleagues and me as we all watched that race together. They were jumping up and down more than I was. Uh, well, <laughs> this horse finished second in the ungraded Arlington, Washington Futurity in early September. Seems to be training well, so from a personal and professional standpoint, I have to ask, where is he in his development and what is going to be next for him? Well, I think that's a great question, and I think that's a question that the group wants to know about so let, let's let's talk about that a little bit because this horse has potential so he was indeed second in the Arlington Washington and, and with a trip that was kind of interesting he didn't break well that day uh, he had to recover from that and get some position and I think it cost him the win because it was a very very close finish but uh, he's a horse that as you say is developing and he really likes his training so he gets after it in his training after that particular race back in uh, mid-September you know, you could tell he'd lost a little bit of weight from his training in his races, and we've been 
getting that weight back on him before we make our next start with him. He's recovered well to this point. He's worked a couple of half miles for us. Both were good works that show he's still on his game. And we're going to try to continue to work with him and move forward in, in his racing. I think his next race will either be a Keeler or a Churchill Downs. Well, you have done well with claimers, as you mentioned. Where do you see your niche in developing horses? You know, the way Wesley Ward excels with two-year-olds in the spring and Chad Brown obviously wins with so many turf horses. Where do you see your niche? Well, I think you're giving me a chance to to toot our own horn here a little bit, and I appreciate that. You know, over the last three years, starting with the the yearling year that Motom ran the Kentucky Derby, which was three years ago, I've been given the opportunity to buy yearlings at the Keeneland sale without any restrictions. And it's been something I've really enjoyed. And those groups that we bought have developed well and we've done well with them. So you're talking about Serengeti Empress. She was a 70,000 yearling purchase last year at Keeneland. Lone Sailor, $120,000 yearling purchase at Keeneland the year before that. And, and there's some others as well. And if you look at our record with two-year-olds and you look specifically at how well we've developed horses over the last few years, I think there's a real correlation between getting these horses as yearlings, being involved in their development before they come to the track, and then come to the track in June or May of their two-year-old year, and then continue to work with them. I love having the opportunity to have those horses under my eye from the time the hammer drops as yearlings to the time we get into the racetrack. Well, one other question and that is though we mentioned you're not you know the size of a bob baffert todd pletcher or chad brown you do obviously rely on your staff quite a bit while you spend the summer at saratoga though your base is at churchill so what is that like when you're not there relying on all of them to give you information if you look at our staff you're going to find that the same names and the same faces are there year after year so, I mean, I could go down the line and tell you the longevity of all of my assistant trainers, but it's it's been, you know, none less than 10 years. And uh, we do it together. Uh, we rely on each other. We talk about ideas. I'm the kind of trainer that always wants to hear what someone thinks, whether it's one of my assistants or some of the staff underneath me. In that one month that I'm at Saratoga with a small group of horses, we usually carry about 12 up there, uh, I'm going back and forth between uh, Churchill and there. And, uh, and then when I'm, when I can't be at one place and I'm at another, you know, it's my assistant trainers and my staff underneath that I depend heavily on. I'm very, very lucky to have a good staff. And part of that is that we all do it together. So everyone feels that they're a part of the process and they certainly are. And even though she will not be the only manifestation of that, the whole thing culminates with Serengeti Empress and the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, and we certainly wish you the best of luck, Tom Amos. Thank you so much for a few minutes here on the show. Barry, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I hope we can do it again soon. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, we'll tackle some of the more important questions heading into the Breeders' Cup with Alicia Wins-Hughes of the Blood Horse. Is Accelerate all he's cracked up to be? Accelerate, after acting up in the gate, is not the best served. Accelerate, four wide at the rear. He's two lengths behind West Coast in the early going. 
Shades of Victory makes the running out of the stretch to the 7 8 pole. It's Isotherm. West Coast, the inside, Accelerate joins them smartly out wide. West Coast is relegated to third and at the quarter pole. It's Accelerate into the lead from Isotherm and West Coast under the whip tries to hang tough along the rail. It's Accelerate with West Coast docket on the inside. Isotherm between them running a bold race. West Coast and Accelerate. A riveting renewal of the awesome again. Accelerate on the outside with his head in front close to home. West Coast running out of puff has given a good account of himself but Accelerate keeps powering on. Accelerate two and a half lengths coming away to beat West Coast and Isotherm. He's won all of the milestone races on the West Coast for older horses. The Santa Anita Handicap, the Gold Cup, the Pacific Classic and now the Awesome Again Stakes made it a little more difficult than it might have had to be. And the question is, is Accelerate all he's cracked up to be? Well, don't ask me. I've got somebody far better to comment on that. And that is our good friend Alicia Wins-Hughes of the Blood Horse, who has been too long since she's joined us here on In the Gate. So what did you make of Accelerate in the awesome again? I mean, it, on one hand, like I said, he got the win. It was third straight grade one this year, I said. And considering the fact that he didn't exactly make things easy on himself in that race, I believe he was, you know, he, he was reluctant to load. He didn't break well. He was, you know, he was last. He had to come, like, he, he basically piled up, as, you know, as many problems as he could for himself in, <laughs> in that race. And he still came through and got the job done. So, so from that standpoint, you've got to be encouraged of the fact that, you know, like that he did have to overcome a bit of adversity. He didn't just have everything his own way there. But I said, and look, I said, he is, he is clearly without question, not just the top older horse on the West coast, the top older horse in trading right now. They said four grade ones just this year alone. That was his third straight one. His only loss was at Oakland uh, when he shipped out there for, for, for the Oakland handicap. The question, you know, that is going to hang over him, though, is in, in not just for him, for John Sadler, is John Sadler's record in great stakes outside of California is not good. It's just there's no way to, to sugarcoat it, and he's going to have to prove that he can that he can ship and be as good outside of California as as he clearly is at his home track. It's not a huge sample size, really. Oakland was his only time. I said he ran, you know, he, it's not like he ran a bad race. He, he finished the second to a good horse there in in City of Light. But the Sadler Barn as a whole is going to have to prove, like I said, that they can translate outside of of their home state. That's gonna that's his big question mark heading into Breeders' Cup. Now, those of us on the East Coast might have an inherent bias against horses from California. It's just a natural thing. But you look at some of the best older horses, and they are from California, and a lot of them have shipped and won elsewhere, including Pavel, who in your backyard won the Stephen Foster at Churchill Downs. Do you think that flatters Accelerate, or does it have no bearing? It's, I say, it's it's hard to say. I mean, obviously, the the, the horses who he has you know, defeated going on to win certainly flatters him. I said, it flatters him, but I said, but it doesn't give you, it it doesn't really give you a read on how he's going to do. You know know what I mean? It doesn't give, it doesn't give you any kind of read on how he's going to do when he gets to track like Churchill down. And Churchill is a surface too, where some horses, I mean, it's one that horses can either love or hate. And if they don't take to it, and some of them don't, some of them, you know, have a hard time with it. Diversify last year when he ran, 
in the, you know, in the, in the Clark handicap, he struggled over it. And he, you know, he was, he was the beat favorite that day. If he comes from Breeders' Cup, he's going to have to, he, he has that, that same question hanging over him now is again, how, how he translates outside of, of New York. That's something he still has to prove. So, I mean, I said, I don't think I don't think it's a question so much of is accelerate a quality horse. I mean, look at who he beat. You know, I said he he beat you know arrogant. He is a, a quality horse. It's just like I said, can he be that good on the road? And I said maybe he can be. We don't really have. I said we have a very small sample size to, to, to judge him off of. So it's not that he can't do it, but we have to see him do it before before we go all in. Now let's go to a couple of horses on the East Coast for the Classic, and it was an amazing win by Discreet Lover in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and I'm going to save commentary for him until the end of the show, because I don't think anybody really thinks he is a serious candidate for the Classic if he remains healthy, which is in question at the time we record this. But the second place horse, Thunder Snow, very, very interesting, back on dirt, ran really well. What do you make of him now? You know, I just, sentimentally, I just, I love seeing Thunder Snow do well because obviously, I mean, we all, you know, his only other experience in the United States was his infamous derby outing where he buffed and propped at the start and had to get pulled up. And, you know, and that was too big of an incident to just ignore and pretend it didn't happen, especially the stage that it happened on. Having said that, this is an extremely talented horse. This is a horse who has been a, a, a grade slash group one winner at ages two, three, and four. So he wasn't, I mean, this is not a horse who had a singular one-off performance in, in Dubai or anything like that. This is a proven top quality horse. And I love seeing him come back the way he did and run as well as he did at Maidan this year. You know, I said with, you know, the whole specter of everything that happened to him in the Derby hanging over him. I'm glad that, that he on merit has put that behind him and not let that incident define him or, or his career. And I was, I said, I think it was very key to see both him and Mendelssohn run good races because I still think there was a lot of thought of, you know, maybe some of those performances, especially from those who that night in Dubai was maybe, you know, the, the, the product of them freaking over that, 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 that track, or maybe the product of a little bit of a track bias or something in their favor. And I think people have wondered how much can they trust two free performances that they saw from those two horses on that night. And I think they have both proven that, like I said, those, those runs were not fluke, that they are quality the only thing with Thundersnow is, A, he's going back to Churchill. We know what happened last time he was there. But also is he obviously, I said, he got a great trip. He sat behind that that crazy fractions that set up in front of him. I am just a little concerned is he had every reason to finish and get the job done. And he still got, I mean, not by, but he still kind of got past there by a long shot late. And it's kind of like, if he can't close the deal with that setup, how much better of a setup is he going to get? for the Breeders' Cup Classic. So, like I said, I feel like he has, I said, he's, he's proven that, that, that he's a quality horse. I would have liked to have seen him in his class hold on in that spot because, I said, he got the ideal set up. And I, I said, I just worry about, I said, he, he needed to close the deal there in that in that race. Thunder Snow, the winner of the Dubai World Cup in March, didn't fare too well when they switched him to grass for the Judmont in August. What about Mendelssohn? You mentioned him and, I'm not so sure I would call that such a great race. He was very washed out before the race started, really ran an unbridled fast pace sitting right off of the early leader, Was seemed very rank, and Ryan Moore did everything he could to try to wrangle him back and settle him down, but 
I don't think it really helped at all. And he finished third, but seemed like he should have been the best horse in there. See, I actually disagree. I don't think it was a bad race for him at all. I don't get concerned with him washing out, especially the, the European horses come over. That's kind of them. If they're not sweating, I'm, I'm a little worried about them. And the fact that, I mean, Ryan Moore rode to win. And actually, if you go back and if you look back on, on his race in the UAE Derby when he blew him away by over 18 lanes, he took it to the front that day. He went to the front and he said, come on with me and see, and see what happens. And he ran him like into the ground. So I think he's actually been more, more effective when he has kind of, kind of pushed the issue and taken himself and put himself more forwardly placed on the lead. So I don't think that was the wrong call at all. And also, if he lets Diversify go, if you let him loose on the lead and have his things his own way, you're going to get Whitney 2.0. You knew what his game was. If you just let him canter out there and you get beat by five, then, then you're the idiot who let the clear grade one proven loan speed on paper go. And he went and he went after him and he was still there after those fractions. He was still there in, in, in third and not that far back where, where diversify had chucked in the, in the towel after those fractions. The fact that he, that he was still there battling late, after chasing those fractions, I thought it was a very brave run on his part. Another horse who may be up near the lead, and it seems like there's going to be quite a bit of speed in the Classic, one with certainly a lot of back class, is Mind Your Biscuits. Coming to the top of the stretch, Flowers for Lisa, the whip is out. Mind Your Biscuits moves up alongside, and these two go by the quarter pole together. Mind Your Biscuits is off the turn in front now, opening up a length and a half. Now by two, now by three. Flowers for Lisa is back in second. Honorable Duty Toast of New York, rated our superstar, one for long to go. Mind Your Biscuits on a five-length lead. All by himself, it's Mind Your Biscuits by four in the end. Where do you see Mind Your Biscuits in a mile and a quarter race. Certainly proved he can go a mile and an eighth. I'm not quite sure of the competition he beat, but a mile and a quarter against this field, it seems like he's going to give it a try. Well, if, if that speed on paper holds for, for, for the Classic, it's going to give him an ideal pace scenario. He was closer up than normal. He was a bit keen early. He sat third between horses early. He usually is a little bit further back, and he, you know, he has got just a fantastic closing kick there that he can run horses down with. But he, he did show. I actually like that he that he showed that he can sit closer up, you know, and still be as, as effective. Uh, he ran a very good time. He looked he looked like he finished out with good energy, finished up well, exactly the way you'd want to see. And now he's got a race over at that surface as well, which is which is no small factor considering that is going to be a question mark for some of the expected top challengers for, for Breeders' Cup. But you mentioned, you know, the old question of, well, who did he be? I mean, bless him. You know, he finished ahead of a horse in Toast of, of New York, who, you know, who was making his third start back off of three-year hiatus and hadn't run since January after finishing last in the Pegasus World Cup. Brave run by, by Toast to get second, but it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you're going to face better than that when you get to the Breeders' Cup day. But you know what? In... You know, Chad and them, they're still deciding which way you're going to go. In this year, as open as this handicap the division is, and the fact that even the top handicap players have notable question marks on them, like I said, as far as shipping and going outside our state, there's no gun runner this year. There's no arrogate. There's no one who's got this thing by the throat. Why not take the swing? You know, it would do, you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world. He's proven that it's a, that he's at least got it, you know, is that he, he can handle the, the two-turn front of ground and finish up well. It would do world to enhance, you know, his value. He's slated to stay on stud at Shaddai next year. You know, I'm kind of, like I said, 
I would take the swing just because I think this is the year to do it. This is not a year with, I don't think, an obvious monster. This is your clear standout. And, you know, you're going to have, you know, I think it's open enough to merit. So I'd go for it if I were them. And the same would probably be true of the connections of Catholic Boy, who's won a grade one on dirt and turf. Is he the most looming presence out there? Probably not. But why wouldn't you take a shot when the same scenario applies to him? Yeah, I mean, and and, and that's and that's their plan. Obviously, they're going to train up to the Breeders' Cup. You know, he certainly has proven himself over over both surfaces. And even if you do believe that, you know, possibly he is better on turf than, than dirt, and he's obviously you know great over both. Keep in mind, Churchill is a track that historically, for whatever reason, plays very favorably towards turf horses trying to make that transition to dirt those turf-based horses they seem to be able to handle that churchill main track better than other main tracks you know you've got some obvious examples examples looking back like you know with with an animal kingdom when he won the derby that track just plays favorably to turf to turf horses making that main track transition so even if you believe he might you know in his heart he might be better on, on turf absolutely you know he might translate very very well Churchill Downs with the way that, that that surface plays. I think, you know, McKenzie, too, if his run in the Pennsylvania Derby didn't take too much out of him, I'm, I I think McKenzie might be right there, too. Yeah, you know, I, again, I think it's, it's open enough, and I think he's got enough talent and, and ability, and ability, and he was supposed to be the one for Baffert this year before he got hurt and before, you know, Justify came on the scene. He was the horse that Baffert thought was going to be his Derby winner this year, and like I said, he came back in extremely impressive fashion for the Pennsylvania Derby, but if that race didn't take too much out of him, I think also he's extremely live in this spot. Bob Baffert is just unbelievable. He loses a triple crown winner in Justify, has two potential winners of the Breeders' Cup Classic in McKinsey and West Coast, has two potential candidates, good candidates, for the Breeders' Cup distaff, but the main one really threw in a clunker most recently in the Grade 1 Zenyatta, which his other horse, Valdori, ended up winning what did you make of both of their races uh i think i think bob was after a race about as, as puzzled as as everybody else who had would watch it because i mean really that was very very not like abel tasman she doesn't you know she hasn't really thrown in a bunker like that you know i mean i know she got beat in the la Troyenne at the start of, of the year but you know she just looked like she was never in it she never really picked up her feet she never made a serious bid, and she just looked like she was disinterested throughout in that race, which is not her in any shape or way. She's always right in there. So, you know, I know that uh, I think he, I think he, he had said to some publications that there's been a virus going around his barn. I think that's what caused um, Mother Mother to get scratched out that she came down with it. It would certainly give you a solid reason as to why she performed the way she did. You know, she's obviously coming off an extremely hard race in, in the personal ends and where her and Elaine just went at each other in a really, really great classic fashion there. So maybe that battle with, with Elaine, maybe she, maybe that took something out of her, wheeling back for that. But um, on form, she was clearly, the, she, she, she should have been clearly the best in, in, in the Zenyatta if she was anywhere close to her normal self. So that's a, it, it's concerning to see her run like that in her final prep before the Breeders' Cup and, and 
Val Dory, I mean, they've been trying to get her back on track. Bob's been trying to get her to find her old, or, you know, her old top form from last season. And, you know, I said she, she took advantage of her stable mate's disinterest and certainly scored a nice win for herself there. I don't, I said, it's a case of, you know, we know what she's capable of. I said she had a great, great run early this season last year. I think she rattled off something like, four straight wins at the start of 2014 and had some, had some really, really great runs there against a stellar win. But, you know, is she back? Does this mean she's back? Or did she just have a good day at the expense of her stablemate not having a good day? Remains to be seen. In some ways, the picture is becoming clearer. In other ways, we're still left scratching our heads. That's the fun of this sport, and I could do this with you all day long. It's all a crapshoot, right? We're all, just, we're all just chucking spaghetti on the wall and seeing what sticks. Exactly. That's the fun of it. And if you don't like it, just cut my pay, considering I don't get any for this show. It's fine either way. Thank you so much for a few minutes, my friend. Thank you so much. You have a good one. Our thanks to Alicia Wins-Hughes and to Tom Amos. There's just no way that you can own the Washington Redskins and take on the Dallas Cowboys twice a year. Beating the New York Yankees? You can enjoy it as a fan, but with few financial benefits, I fear. But in horse racing, you can be the little guy and win, even against an owner whose blood runs blue. And so it was that a computer technician beat the ruler of Dubai in a venerable stakes race. Yes, it's true. Urias St. Louis, once a computer technician for Amtote and on discreet lover, spent ten grand to own and train, shocked the racing world by winning the Jockey Club Gold Cup because second place was all that Thunder Snow attained. Uriah St. Louis didn't build a $2 billion racetrack, as Sheikh Mohammed did eight years ago, but after the Gold Cup, the St. Louises said they could pay their college bills. What other sport could produce such a tableau? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.